0: The following message, entitled, No Compromise, Part 7 of the series, O Church, Arise, was given by Mark Altrogi on the 20th of March, 2016. To learn more about our church, please visit sgcindianapa.org. All right, well, we are in First Corinthians. We're in a series called, O Church, Arise. This morning, we're in 1 Corinthians, Chapter 5. We'll look at verses 1 through 13 in a minute. But I want to ask you a question. What if, I, uh, what if you came over to my house, and I offered you a glass of iced tea or Diet Coke or whatever, and as you took it from me, I said, oh, there's just a little bit of arsenic in there. Just maybe, maybe 10%, but I don't think you'll taste it. Would you drink it? No. Would you even sip it? No. Would you, would you tolerate any arsenic in it? No. Or what if Jim Rice, who is a member of our church who is also an exterminator, what if Jim came to your house and said, Would it be okay if I put one bed bug, just one bed bug in your bed? Would you let him do that? I I wouldn't. Or what if I said to you one day, um, if I came over to your house and I said, I have tuberculosis. Would it be okay if I just coughed a couple times in your house? You'd say, no, you need to be quarantined. Well, in our passage today, we're going to see that the Corinthians tolerated one member's serious, ongoing, unrepentant sin. And Paul gives them a strong command to stop compromising and cleanse the church. And so this message is called No Compromise. And I'd like to read 1 Corinthians 5, verses 1 through 13. It's actually the whole chapter. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not even tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife stepmother, and you are arrogant, ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you're assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus... You are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed Purge the evil person from among you. So let's pray. Lord, this is a challenging passage, so please help me. Please help us. Please help us to apply this word to our church and our lives. Help us to fear you in a healthy way and love you And pursue holiness, Lord. Just pray that this would stir us and help us as a church, Lord Jesus. And thank you that your word is always meant to be good to us and encourage us and stir us and strengthen us, Lord. So we thank you for your word, even the challenging parts of it. And just please open it up to us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. The big idea of this passage is that because Christ's blood has made us clean, we must cleanse the church. Christ's blood has cleansed us and made us clean, so we should live in the reality of that, and we need to seek to live in the reality of that as a church And so we're going to look at three major points in this passage. First of all, continue in sin with a question mark after it. Should we continue in sin given that we've been cleansed of it? Should we compromise with sin? Should we just overlook serious, ongoing, unrepentant sin? And then finally, cleanse that sin. So, first of all, should we continue in sin? The first thing we see is that genuine believers in Jesus Christ who have been saved, who have believed in Jesus and have eternal life, though they should put sin to death, when we believe in Jesus, we should then begin to go on a path of discipleship in which we continuously put sin to death we should not sow to the flesh but even though believers should put sin to death and should not sin and now have all we need all the power of the Holy Spirit all the grace of God that we don't have to sin we do not have to yet sometimes believers can choose to commit serious sin, though they shouldn't, they can, and become ensnared in serious sin. And so Paul says, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that's not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. This is a member of the Corinthian church. It is a believer. He is a believer in Jesus Christ. And he is committing ongoing immorality and he is refusing to repent. Now there are times the Bible says that in, in, in Galatians 6.1 it says if someone is caught in any sin restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So if a person is falls into sin and repents and wants to change this is this is not talking about this kind of person. This is talking about a person who is A believer in Jesus Christ who has fallen into sin and is refusing to change. Excuse me. So, believers, we shouldn't, but we can continue in sin. And so in verse 11 of this passage, we just said, He says, Now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Or is drunk, idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler? Not to even eat with such a one. So this is talking about Christians. He bears the name of brother. Paul would not have written this, those who bear the name of brother, if Christians couldn't do those things. When we believe in Jesus, let me make this very clear. We are freed from from the power and dominion of sin. We don't have to sin. We have God's grace. We have God's spirit. God puts new hearts into us. We have power to overcome sin. We can put it to death. We don't have to. But if we don't fear the Lord, if we subject ourselves to temptation, if we don't regularly pursue the Lord, if we don't read His Word, if we don't pray, if we subject ourselves to temptation, if we, if we go the way of the world, if we hang out on a regular basis with those who are doing these things, all kinds of things can lead us to Sin. And that was a question that Paul had to deal with at times. You know, I thought we were redeemed. I thought we were saved by grace. And all our sins are wiped away. And so, why not just go sin if all our sins are wiped away? Why not just continue in sin? If, if, if we don't have to get to heaven by trying to earn our way by good works, why not sin? And Paul said in Romans 6, 1, he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? That grace may abound by no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Paul would not have said this if it were impossible to continue in sin. If we would automatically stop the minute we prayed to receive Jesus, if we would never sin. See, I've I've talked to to. to to people at times who have looked at someone who has said, I have believed in Jesus for 20 years, and then they fall into serious sin, and someone says, well, I guess they never really believed. I guess they're not really a Christian. Well, no, that's not necessarily the case. You You can believe in Jesus and get ensnared in serious sin. My first year as a Christian, no one told me after I said this prayer to ask Jesus into my heart, no one told me I needed to stop going out and getting drunk every night. I wish the man would have told me. I wish the man would have said, Mark, you have just prayed to receive Jesus. You have eternal life. Now you need to become a disciple. Now you need to turn away from sin. You need to repent. Maybe he didn't know any better at the time. He just led me in a prayer and i would go to prayer meetings i'd go to a, I would go to a bible study and then i'd go up to the coney and get smashed and i was miserable there's nothing worse than there's there's nothing worse than believing in jesus and then living in sin living on the fence is it's it's almost it's almost worse than being an unbeliever i, I wouldn't say that because you're at least saved but i was miserable i was sinning and i didn't know any better I didn't know I had the power to stop. I didn't know that that was a sin. And I would feel horribly guilty afterwards, but I continued in sin until one night I was invited to another Bible study and I heard a message about repentance, meaning turning away from sin, stopping it. And by God's grace, I stood up at the end of the meeting with a bunch of other people and prayed a prayer that I wanted to turn from my sin, and God really began to change my life then. But I was a believer. I believed in Jesus. I was going to Bible studies for a year, year and a half, and, and still committing sin. But we don't have to. And so in Romans 6.6, 6, it says, we know that our old self was crucified with him, In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died to sin has been set free from sin. When I read that, when I read that, it was so liberating. I have been set free from sin. I don't have to do it. This is our position in Christ. We are no longer slaves of sin. We have died with Christ and have been set free from sin. We don't have to do it. And so in Romans 6.11, Paul says, so you, must also, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So when we're tempted, we need to say, wait a minute. No, I can't give in to that. I'm dead to sin. I'm no longer in that world. I am... Alive to Christ. This is my reality. We have to consider ourselves. And so then in Romans 6.12, he says, Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Now, what this says is we don't have to sin, but we can if we're not careful. And if we present ourselves to it, we will become enslaved to it. If we don't fight it but give in to it, sin will reign. So he says don't let sin reign in your body. And he says don't present yourselves. Don't present the members of your body. Don't present the members. Don't present your eyes to looking at things they shouldn't look at. Don't present your hands. Don't present the members of your body to sin. If you say, here I am, sin, you present yourself to it, you will become enslaved to it but you don't have to be. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Galatians 6.1 says that when a Christian is enslaved or ensnared by sin, if he repents, we should restore him gently. And so Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. The word Caught in any transgression means overtaken, overtaken by surprise. It doesn't mean caught in the act. It doesn't mean, aha, I caught you doing something wrong. No, it means you're ensnared, like you've been overtaken. You're in a trap. But if you want to repent, if you, if you, if you come back and say, I'm sorry, then other believers should restore with gentleness, knowing that we're all vulnerable. No one should ever, if someone confesses a sin to you, you should never think, oh, how could you do that? I would never do that. No. It says, even if someone is committing a serious sin and repents, we should say, You know, I want to restore you. I want to pray with you. I want to do all I can to get you back. And I don't think I'm better than you. I don't look down on you because I want to look to myself because I know I could also be tempted. And I could fall into any sin that you've committed. But we want to just be really careful. Galatians 6, 7 and 8 says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. This is written to Christians. This is written to believers if it was just automatic that we're just going to live a perfect, sinless life, if it was automatic that we're just going to uh, always obey God and always just immediate, always be producing good fruit, why would Paul say this? Why would Paul say, don't sow to the flesh? Why would there be so many warnings in the New Testament? So remember, we can come to the throne of grace for help in time of need. God has has bags and bags of grace to give us, as one man said. He has so much grace, so much power to help us. But we don't want to take it lightly either. So, should we compromise with sin? Should we tolerate it in ourselves or in the church? And I'm not talking about people just struggling with weakness and and trying to overcome it and repenting. No, we're all struggling. We all struggle with sin at times. I'm talking about should we tolerate serious, ongoing, unrepentant sin. I'm not talking about if a brother comes to you and says, you know what, I've been struggling... Uh, for years with this sin and i keep falling and i keep praying and and you know you know we've been trying to overcome this for years and i i i go for a while and i do vic- i have the victory and then i i fall no we're not talking about that we're talking about somebody's committing a sin and says no i'm not going to stop i am i know i'm i know i'm doing this and i'm not quitting that's that's what we're talking about here should we tolerate that And so, Paul says it's actually reported there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? These Corinthians should have been grieved by this. But they should have mourned. Instead, they were just letting it go on. And he says pagans wouldn't even do that. Unbelievers in this culture in which we live wouldn't even put up with that a man living with his father's wife but instead of mourning they were arrogant they were boasting about i follow paul i follow apollos i'm so spiritual i'm more spiritual than you are paul's saying you think you're spiritual and you're tolerating this you're not grieving over it Why should they have been mourning and grieving? Because sin like this has a leavening effect. I'll try to explain that. Your boasting, verse 6, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Leaven was an agent like yeast that caused dough to rise by fermentation. It had a secretly penetrating and diffusive power. And so if you put a little bit of leaven in a lump of bread, unleavened, it would spread through the whole lump and make the whole thing rise. Paul says that's the way sin is. If you tolerate it, it will spread and affect the whole church. This is so important to remember. Sin not only affects us, it affects others. It spreads. A mother who uses crack will give birth to a baby addicted to crack. Parents who unload their anger on their kids will raise bitter, angry children. Pastors' sins have destroyed whole churches and brought shame on the name of Jesus. And Paul says that this man's sin in the Corinthian church will spread like leaven and it's going to affect the whole church. And we see, we see uh, in in um, Joshua 7, how one man, Achan, disobeyed. He, it says in Joshua 7, 1, but the people of Israel broke faith in regard to the devoted things. For Achan, the son of Carmi, son of Zabdi, son of Zerah of the tribe of Judah, took some of the devoted things and the anger of lo- the Lord burned against the people of Israel. See, God had warned the whole nation. When you, when you go in, and you defeat this pagan nation, don't be tempted to take some of their idols, some of their precious things. And this one guy, Achan, did it. But yet it says the people of Israel broke faith. The Lord it says the anger of the Lord burned against the people of Israel. Now Joshua didn't know about this. Joshua didn't realize that Achan had stolen this. And so he sends... 3,000 men up to attack a city called Ai. 3,000 men was not very many men. The, his spies had come back saying it's going to be easy. Don't even send the whole army. And, and they go up and they attack. And the men of Ai rout them. And they actually kill 36 Israelites. One man's sin, 36 people die. And the nation, the, the army is routed. Joshua grieves. He prays. He, he, he says, Lord, what, why have you done this? Why have you brought us here? He doesn't know what's happened, and the Lord reveals to him. Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel has sinned. They, as a group, have transgressed my covenant that I commanded them, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. Now, I've, I've read this passage and I, I've, I've said, Lord, I, I don't understand. Uh, one guy did it. Why does the whole nation suffer? Because we are all tied together in Jesus. We are the body of Christ. When one part of the body is not good, it affects the whole body. I don't understand it. About a month ago, I had to have a tooth pulled. It was one that I had had a cavity in when I was a child, a molar. And uh, back in those days, I guess what they filled it with lasted 50 years or so. And one night in a restaurant, it, I'm eating and it cracked. and. Uh, the dentist did his best to patch it up, and it, it, it worked out okay for a year, but then it started to really hurt. It started to really kill me. This one tooth was just, I tell you what, I have not had pain like that very often in my life. I was considering going to the emergency room, just, you know, I went to MedExpress. I did anything I could to get some relief. One little tiny part of my body wasn't good. It was affecting my whole body. It was affecting my whole mentality. You know, that's the way the church is. We are all intertwined. We're all interconnected. If one person is giving in to serious sin, somehow, I don't understand in God's plan, but we are interconnected. We are part of one another. We have to look out for one another. We have to care for one another. We have to encourage one another. We have to do all we can do to help one another not give in to sin and not... not Live apart from God because we're a body. Sin always affects others. Oh, man, when David sinned, David sinned with Bathsheba and he admitted his sin, but there were still consequences. God said, even though you have repented, even though he said, I'm the man, I'm sorry I did this, the child that he conceived by Bathsheba died. And God said, David, because you've done this, the sword will never depart from your house. David had consequences for the rest of his life. Hey, I, the reason we are doing this is because we love you guys. I was thinking this morning, I, I thought if, if a new person came and they, they hear, I'm going to talk about serious sin this morning, you're going to thought, oh, Great. But we, we love you guys. We want you guys to do as well as, as you possibly can do and to prosper in the Lord. And we want our church to do well. And the third point this brings us to is, is cleanse that sin. And so Paul says in verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. So every one of us in Jesus Christ, you're a new lump. <laughs> Isn't that good to know? Hey, Lumpy. What's Paul talking about? Leaven in the Bible was often used as a metaphor for sin because it spread. If you kept a lump of leavened bread for too, a leavened dough for too long, the leaven would ferment and spoil and rot. So it had this it had this time where it would spread and it had a good effect, but it also could have a bad effect. And so, very often in the Bible, leaven is used as a picture of sin. You're supposed to get rid of that because it will eventually have a rottening effect on your life. A decaying effect on the life of the church. And so he says, in Christ, we're a new lump. That means there's no longer this rotten, spoiled sin in us. Jesus took care of that on the cross. But we can't give in to that. He says, you got to live like you really are, as you really are unleavened. So he says, cleanse out the old leaven. See, we really are righteous in Christ. God has declared us righteous in Christ when we believed in Him. And so we need to act like what we are. We need to live out of the new reality That God has given us. And so then Paul says for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with the old leaven. The leaven of malice and evil. This old leaven. This old sin that has had time to ferment and get rotten. But he says let us celebrate it with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Well what does he mean there? The night that God delivered Israel from Egypt, they were slaves in Egypt for 400 years, and God brought them out. But the final night that, that He sent the last plague, He said, you take a Passover lamb, you take a perfect spotless lamb, kill that lamb, take its blood, smear it on the doorposts of your house. When the angel of death comes through the land of Egypt that will kill the firstborn, and he sees the blood of over your house he won't come he won't come and kill the firstborn he'll pass over that house and so that feast was called the passover and on that feast on that night they were to eat unleavened bread and they were to celebrate in the future, they celebrated Passover. It was immediately followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread in which they would eat unleavened bread for seven days. And the reason was they were to remember that the night of the Passover, they were to eat unleavened bread because there wasn't time for the bread to rise. They had to eat it that night and they were getting out of Egypt. That meant It was a festival, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when Paul says, let us therefore celebrate the festival not with the old leaven, but the leaven of malice and evil, but unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. He means, just like they used to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, remembering their escape, their freedom from slavery, the night they left in haste because there wasn't time for putting leaven in bread and letting it rise, it meant it was the Feast of Unleavened Bread was a celebration of leaving the life of sin, leaving the life of slavery. Get out! Get away from it! You don't have time to mess around with sin. You're done with that. And so Paul is saying, let's celebrate that feast, so to speak, by not having the leaven of sin in our lives that we used to partake in. And when Paul says cleanse out, cleanse out the old leaven, that Greek word means cleanse out completely. It, the, the Greek word is actually the word we get our English word catharsis from. And catharsis means just get it all out. Just completely empty yourself. Just get rid of everything. And it just means thoroughly clean your lives Thoroughly clean the church. Don't tolerate serious, ongoing, unrepentant sin. And so Paul says, here's how you do it. Here's, here's what we need to do. Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus and my spirit is present, With the power of the Lord Jesus, you're to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. This is real. This is real. Power. He says, when you are assembled in the name of Jesus, Jesus said, whenever two or more gather my name, I am there. Jesus is here this morning in power. And he says, and my spirit is present. Paul was not with them physically, but by the power of the spirit, it's as if he were there. Paul can pray at a distance. Paul is involved in the life of the church from a distance. And he says, with the power of our Lord Jesus, the infinite power of the Lord is at work. This is very serious stuff. And he says, you're to deliver this man to Satan. Now, this doesn't mean that he belongs to Satan because this man is a believer. He belongs to Jesus. But it means that the protection of the Lord is removed in some measure and Satan has access to him for the destruction of his flesh. Not his spirit. Satan can't touch his spirit. But when, when we believe in Jesus... We have eternal life. We can never lose it. His spirit would be saved in the day of the Lord. But this church discipline would result in physical consequences, the destruction of his flesh, and some consequences on Judgment Day as well if he refused to repent. But the idea was the destruction of his flesh was to hopefully turn him to repentance. And as things started to happen in his life that he would see what was happening and turn and come back and avoid all that. And it doesn't mean he's going to immediately die necessarily. We don't know what that looks like. And there, there have been some times where we've had to do this. And I can, I, I've had to appeal saying, if you continue in this, your flesh will be destroyed. I don't know what, I don't know what will happen, but I don't know if you'll get cancer. I don't know what could happen to your home. I just don't even know. But it's serious. But the idea is it's not like we're trying to be mean to someone, but this is an act of mercy. This is the kindest thing we can do to get this man to repent and turn from his sins. And in 2 Corinthians it does appear that this man repented and broke off this sin, which is so cool to see. And Paul says, you know, you're not responsible to judge and cleanse the whole outside world. You know, you're not just to go up on Philadelphia Street walking up to every unbeliever and saying, hey, you better repent of your immorality or your flesh will be destroyed. No, he says, "You're you're not... to.'" try to do that God's going to take care of that but we are responsible to cleanse the church and so in verse 9 he says I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people not at all meaning the sexually immoral of the world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters since then you'd need to get out go out of the world but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality, sexual immorality or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. So you can't avoid immoral people in the world. When you go to work, I bet lots of you go to work and there's immoral people there. Go to school, whatever. We can't avoid in the marketplace the greedy, swindlers, idolaters. He says the only way to avoid them, the only way we could not associate with them would be to get out of the world. But he says the church is different. He says anyone who has claimed to be a Christian, anyone who's a brother and is living In this way, without repenting, ongoing, refusing to repent, don't associate with them. Now, it's different if someone is struggling and wants to change, like I said, if someone wants to change, if someone's trying to change, even though they fall again and again, if they're trying to change, that's different. This is unrepentant. And Jesus says, well, how how are we supposed to do this? What are we supposed to do? Jesus said in Matthew 18, go after them. We're, we're to care for them. And so initially, Jesus says, see that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who's in heaven. Then he says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine? on the mountains, and go in search of the one that went astray. And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. So this is right before this next passage about church discipline. So it's very important that we we remember that Jesus says if someone is going astray, go after them. You don't just immediately put them out of the church. We don't just throw them out right away or anything like that. We pursue them like someone going after a lost sheep. And so in verse 15, Jesus says if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. See, you're going after him like after the sheep. Go to him tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And then the church appeals and the church tries to get this person to change. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, then let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. So we see that church discipline is a rescue operation. It's like going after a lost sheep tangled up. And so when we've done this in the past, and we haven't had to do it very many times, I'm so thankful, but an individual would go first. And then after a period of time, after appealing, then maybe that individual will go back, take one or two others with them and appeal again and give the person time to repent and pray for them and hope they change. And then if they still don't, then we've had to tell the whole church to to appeal to the person. As many knew them would write letters and notes and maybe give them a call or maybe get together with them over coffee and just appeal to them to, to change. And then after a certain period of time, if they just refuse to listen to the church, then then we would have to put the person out of the church to, as it says, let him who has done this be removed from among you or purge the evil person from among you. And so what does that mean? It, it means that we can't keep fellowshipping with them and acting like nothing's wrong. We can't just greet them and say, hey, so great to see you. Let's have lunch together. Let's get together for some fellowship. No, they need to know in some way that they are in danger and that they are not pleasing the Lord. Doesn't mean doesn't mean that we're unkind to them or anything like that. See, Paul, in verse 4, he says... Or no, I'm, never mind. I'm going to skip that because we're, our time is getting short. But Paul really cared about this man, and he did repent in Second Corinthians. And Paul expresses his grief and his sadness and having to initially put him out of the church. So it wasn't something that Paul did flippantly or angrily. He did it in grief and sadness and out of love for this person. So again, Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. And that's that's what the Corinthian church did. And that's what Paul urged them to do was to restore this man in a spirit of gentleness. And that's that would be our desire. So conclusion. Should we continue in sin? No. We're new creations, we're new lumps. We need to live out of the reality of what God declares about us. We need to live out of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we have every means to do that. We have the grace of God, the power of the Holy Spirit can come to the throne of grace anytime, day or night, for help in time of need. Should we compromise with sin? Should we tolerate it? in our own lives or in the church. And again, I'm talking about serious ongoing sin. We shouldn't tolerate any sin. We should always be seeking to put sin to death. But I'm talking about serious ongoing unrepentant sin because the Bible says, bear with one another, be merciful, forgive, and love covers a multitude of sins. So that means that there's just many, many, many sins that people will commit against us unknowingly, accidentally, didn't intend to maybe, didn't realize they had a bad attitude toward me. Am I supposed to kick that person out of the church? No. Love covers a multitude of sins. I, you know, Father is having a bad day. I forgive him. But if it's something serious, I need to go to him, private, and so forth. So... We don't compromise, though, with ongoing unrepentant sin. We need to fear God. We need to all remember, whenever we're tempted, whenever you're tempted, whenever I'm tempted, I always need to remember, if I sin, it's not only going to be destructive to my life, but it's going to affect many other people. Oh, let let us have the fear of the Lord. And then we're to cleanse that sin cleanse the church in love most merciful thing we can do so let's pray let's stand and pray and let's ask God to help us to just have a healthy fear of him and live in the good of all he's done for us Lord Lord Jesus thank you For your word. And we know that the warnings in your word are here because you love us and you want us to prosper. You want us to have the most victorious, successful Christian lives we can possibly have. And so, Lord, we thank you that there are even difficult warnings in Scripture but it's because you love us. And so, Lord, we just ask, I ask for myself, and I ask for us as a church, please help us to fear you in a healthy way, as the Bible says. Oh, Lord, help every young person here to fear you. Help every old person here to fear you. Lord, help us to flee temptation. Lord, please deliver us from temptation. Please deliver us from evil and sin. And Lord, help us to always obey you and not tolerate what we shouldn't tolerate. And help us, Lord, to be gentle And look to ourselves when someone else shares a struggle they're having with us. And to never look down on anyone else because we're all capable of being tempted and falling into sin. And Lord, we thank you. I believe that you're going to really use this in our lives, Lord. And so, Lord, if anyone is struggling with any sin, please give them just hope and give them the courage to get some help and to get somebody to pray for them. Lord, we just pray that you would just help us all to live lives that glorify you. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.